With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 46th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also want to help raise awareness of you know, privacy issues and help my worldwide listeners to know about tips and actions to help them to improve their information security practices and also to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, Podtoppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And also, of course, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site. Then you'll be notified just as soon as every new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. You know, I really love seeing all the countries and cities uh, my listeners report. And if you've heard my show before, you know this because I talk a little bit at the beginning of each show about how exciting it is for me to see where my new listeners are coming in from. Now, in this past week, I had many new listeners tuned in from Chile, Mexico, and Spain. So now I have tens of thousands listening in from 60 different countries around the globe. And I just heard from another university in Europe that said that they have their classes listening also. So welcome and thanks so much for all of you tuning in. Now, if any of you are interested in becoming a sponsor or advertiser for my show, just let me know. Get in touch. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know about that too. And I love getting your feedback and questions, so keep those coming in as well. My December Privacy Professor Tips message was published on November 30th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I provide them free in an effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Now to my tip for the week. So this has to do with using social media and better protecting your privacy. In December, this past December, just last month, Facebook made a lot of news about how the Facebook app was basically configured or engineered 
to, in effect, trick Facebook users into sharing a lot more data and data about their friends than the Facebook users were told or were aware of. Now, many people have asked me about how they can strengthen privacy while still using Facebook. And this is a concern of mine as well because I also use Facebook. I use it not only to keep in touch with a longtime family and friends, but also my new uh, contacts and so on. But here's how I, one big thing that I do to help better protect my privacy. I use Facebook, but I do not use the Facebook app. I just go to the Facebook website. I go there when I'm on my desktop computer, when I'm on my laptop, um, when I'm using my Android phone. I use the website that Facebook has, just Facebook.com, when I want to use it. Why? It's because those apps that are used, and it's the apps that have created so much of the privacy concern with Facebook as it is. But generally, apps potentially introduce many additional ways to get into your data and have your data and potentially even your friend's data taken and tracked and used without your realization. So if you want to strengthen your privacy protections, one action that you can take that has big impact is you can completely disable the Facebook app and only use Facebook by going to the Facebook website. Now, this advice is generally also applicable to all other social media sites as well. So to our show topic for today. So we're into the new year. Now, looking ahead throughout 2019, um, it's been interesting. There's been a lot of forecasts and predictions for what's going to happen this year. Also, something that I like to look at is how information security is viewed differently and maybe approached differently throughout the world. So I thought while we're looking at the forecast today, it would also be interesting to look at how a South American country is taking many actions to develop and implement strong information security and privacy programs. So in 2014, I had the great honor and true pleasure of traveling to Bogota, Colombia. I was invited to go there to do a keynote about the Internet of Things, privacy and security risks at one of their information security conferences. And I met many wonderful and brilliant information security experts while there, including the wonderful person who invited me to go there to begin with, who is an information security expert and also on my show today. Today, I'm being joined by Dr. Jamie Cano, an engineer and master of science in systems and computer science from the University of Los Andes in Colombia. Dr. Cano also has a specialist in disciplinary law from the Externado University of Colombia. Jamie also has a PhD 
in Business Administration from Newport University, California, in, here in the U.S., and a Ph.D. in Education from Santo Tomas University, Colombia. Dr. Cano has more than 20 years of experience as an academic, executive, and professional in information security, privacy, cybersecurity, information systems, government, and IT auditing. In 2018, Jamie was awarded by the Columbia National Police for his support in the fight against cybercrime and digital investigations in Colombia. And in 2016, Jamie received recognition as Cybersecurity Educator of the Year for 2016 for Latin America by the Cybersecurity Excellence Awards. Jamie is a certified fraud examiner, certified internal control auditor, and he earned the Executive Certificate in Leadership and Management from the MIT Sloan School of Management. Dr. Kano has more than 150 publications in international journals and events, as well as guest lecture in national and international forums and conferences on security and control issues in Latin America. Jamie, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Oh, Rebecca, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for the presentation. Uh, it's a pleasure to stay here in your show and to share some ideas about my passion related to information security and cybersecurity. Thank you so much. Well, I, and I know you have such passion for cybersecurity. And from you know your intro, you've been so busy over the past many years throughout your career. So maybe you can explain a little bit what led you to a career in information security. Well, I think that my first experiences in, in IT auditing showed me an interesting perspective in, about control. It was in the central bank here in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that, I understand that security could be achieved not only understanding the, the control itself. It's in, in order to understand the complementary view, like insecurity. Uh, in this sense, my reflections... In my professional practice and academic research was uh, the last 20 years, it's about insecurity, how to understand insecurity to achieve security. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I never realized until just now you and I have something in common because um, – I got into information security as a result of an IT audit. I uh, was doing IT auditing, and I got into to information security as a result of doing an audit as well. So I agree with you. It's, it's really fascinating to see the links and the important reasons why we need to have these controls into place. Um, so, you know, you're in Colombia. How would you describe the information security program maturity levels of organizations in Colombia? Because um, I don't think a lot of my listeners may realize all the different activities that's going on there. Oh, okay. Well, in Colombia, first of all, I want to, to say you that I understand maturity as a, as a state, not mm-hmm. as a level. Okay. That means... That means that the, the, it's a continued effort 
every organization need to do in order to maintain the level, to maintain really the state of the security. Mm-hmm. In Colombia, the maturity level, it's a little bit heterogeneous because it depends of each sector. For example, in financial sector, there are, are strict regulations and that, that regulation need to do to maintain a specific state of the security. But uh, in other sectors are not uh, as uh, enforcement <clears throat> at this time. So if, you, if I could say that um, uh, the, the main maturity state of the security in Colombia, it could be a uh, medium level in general. Okay. So it sounds like when you talk about having financial regulations for security and not so much in other industries, it sounds like it's uh, in many ways similar to how we've typically approached um, information security and privacy in the United States as well then at, at a more of a uh, industry or sector level. Yeah. The, the, in fact, maybe in Latin America, uh, the the emphasis of the of the enforcement on the security it's could be the financial sectors and other sectors that is related directly with the with the customers. So the the government generally try to protect this uh, this interest in in these sectors. So that kind of brings me next to your forecast. So I read with great interest you wrote on your blog, you had uh, five information security forecast for 2019 recently, mm-hmm. and I was uh, interested in hearing a little bit more about it. You you described them very well in your blog mm-hmm. post, but I thought, well, let's dig a little <laughs> deeper, perhaps, mm-hmm. <laughs> in our okay. discussion. So your first forecast was um, having much broader connectivity through IoT, Internet of Things, through clouds for dark computing and so on. So I guess um, for our worldwide listeners, maybe you could expand upon that and also explain when you're talking about dark computing what you mean by that. Okay. Dark computing is is the same like shadow IT. It's Mm. all those generally unverified applications that people have installed in their mobile devices that using usually use it in the corporate wireless network without knowledge of IT area. This is a, a scenario that insecure that creating secure environments to create adverse condition in the dynamic of organization. That means that the, all the people download apps in his mobiles and connect to the wireless uh, corporate wireless uh, networks and offer. Uh, a different uh, uh, context for security and the guys from IT side or the security side don't know about the, the, the context of these applications of this time. Okay, so that would mean that uh, a lot of those personally owned devices then too, right, that are okay. introduced within the business environment, a lot of those are bringing in and would be considered as dark computing because it's hard for a lot of organizations to even realize when their um, users have different types of devices that have yeah. been attached. Yeah, for example, you have at uh, this time a smartwatch connected to the to the wireless mm-hmm. networks, something like that. So 
<clears throat> this uh, this kind of new devices connected to the to the networks, uh, you don't have control about that. Uh, how they use for the people, so they create maybe an insecure environment that you don't have control about that. Right. So those other devices connecting in, you know, as far as the impacts for them, then I mean, like just as one impact would be they're creating many more pathways then into the network, right? Yeah, for sure. You can <clears throat> create that different and know the scenarios that mm-hmm. the people inside the organization doesn't know about that. So uh, you open the, the organization to, to have a new, create a new vector, attack, new attack vector that you don't know about that. And that could be very, um, have some very significant impacts, especially one of the areas that I've been concerned with for a long time. And I think I might have even mentioned it way back in 2014 when I visited you there, but was with healthcare. Because mm-hmm. if you have those vectors, access vectors coming into your network in a healthcare organization, you could actually shut down potentially some of the devices that patients are depending upon. So it becomes very critical. Um, what, what type of impacts do you see for this broader type of connectivity? Well, as, uh, as I mentioned generally to my students, I say, I always say that greater connectivity, it's a greater possibility. Mm-hmm. So physical things that were not previously connected create an ecosystem on data flows, maybe no, a baby unknown, that increase the area of affectation in the inside organization and a new gap in order to to management this this uh, this uh, new ecosystem. Uh, in this sense, the 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 idea of the all these devices, generally you mentioned the devices are smart, and the connotation is of smart by definition is they have vulnerable uh, device. So in the context of healthcare, any device that you have a specific um, uh, condition to support maybe the life or just to to test or to validate the information about uh, the condition of the patient, it could be vulnerable. So we need to understand better than this new environment and this new ecosystem because the data flow, maybe you know the flows, in the in the network, but you don't know how this new device uh, uh, express or flows new data inside or outside the organization. Yes, and might be even um, siphoning out without your knowledge a lot of data that um, you don't want to get out. Well, I want to move on to your next um, forecast too about increased monitoring and surveillance. <laughs> Uh, so what kind of groups do you see increased monitoring and surveillance coming from throughout 2019? Well, that's a, 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 a tough question because it's mm-hmm. a, maybe a political question too. So, yeah. uh, uh, more surveillance necessarily means less space for privacy. You know that. Mm-hmm. This scenario creates a natural tension in people's rights because increase the mobility capacity of the states and their anticipation strategies. That means that the, for one side, uh, you have a government, they want to protect 
all the people who want to suggest some ideas about to have control about communications, about uh, the social media, something like that. But on the other side, the people want to maintain his rights to to do something in in social media. But it's not that does this both uh, tension because the companies uh, claims for the to have a more participation from the data because the data is a new business for, for them. So these three forces are uh, all the time try to to see how they uh, have the, the primacy to to do the more business or to protect more rights or to have the, the power to see uh, what do you do in the internet. So in Colombia, for your internet service providers, then is there any uh, type of requirement that they have legal requirement for providing for like monitoring or maintaining logs of activities similar to you know like some of the requirements that exist in the U.S. Yes, uh, in fact, recently Colombia signs the the cybercrime convention. And 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 this in this in this sense, uh, they they have monitoring twenty four seven, support by Europe, uh, support by Interpol, and inside the country we have uh, a special unit in the in the police that uh, in in coordination with the in the for the defense uh, monitoring the the, <clears throat> the internet. But just to say to identify uh, uh, anomaly um, conditions uh, in order to to have uh, more uh, visibility about the the conditions of the internet and the connections inside the inside and outside the country. Okay, and also probably to try to identify where some of those uh, activities originate from. From other parts yeah. of the world, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, this is a job uh, in coordinated with the defense, the cyber command. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so uh, within Colombia, then basically, when like when I was there, I could get online and go basically to any website that that I noticed. Um, is that pretty much the the same? Uh, viewpoint now i mean there's there's no limitation on where you can go to any websites uh, or other online presence throughout the world yeah at this time we have no limitations to navigate to to browsing and to navigate through the internet but the, the police have a special monitoring for all uh, space in colombia in order to like a like a what you see guardian to see some interesting movement that they need to show and to explore a little bit deeper. Ah, sure. Uh, yeah. And to help protect, um, to maybe identify any f- red flags that might occur within activity that might indicate there, there may be an attack, a cyber attack. Has there ever been a cyber attack in Colombia? Yeah, there are many uh, cyber attacks at these times we are um experimenting some of them uh, because the ten- some tensions uh in the in the region uh, I, I i i don't know 
more information about that because this is part of the of the the classified information that this time have the government. Uh, but we have uh, many cyber attacks uh, in different companies and different sectors, particularly in Colombia. Uh, WannaCry was uh, impact more and more uh, organizations in, in Colombia with different um, uh, actions and, and, and defense measures that oh. the, all the, these uh, organizations doing when this uh, type of attack uh, occurs. And are those attacks, like, are they on organizations primarily, or are they more on, like, individuals um, in general? Okay, generally, it's uh, concentrated in organizations, uh, but individuals, they report to the, to the police, to the unit, the cybercrime unit, uh, some generally more uh, uh, actions about the cyber uh, cyber crime uh, related, for example, with uh, uh, using the identity theft, uh, maybe attacks directly to the banks and to, mm. to theft the money and something like that. Okay, and has ransomware been um, been used or been experienced much? I guess you could say. Uh, with, throughout Colombia, we've gotten lots of ransomware attacks in the U.S. Yeah, here in Colombia, in in the region too, in Latin America, it's a lot of cases of ransomware. Uh, particularly, the first one was WannaCry. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was very hard. In some, particularly some uh, uh, hospitals, it was affected. Oh. Was affected here too. That can be very destructive. Well, we're coming right up on a break right now. So um, we'll pause here for now and take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Dr. Jamie Cano about his information security forecast for 2019. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. And also you can go to my privacyguidance.com website to get in touch. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Jamie Cano about his information security predictions for 2019. So let's go on to one of your other forecasts, Jamie. Um, we had already talked about the first couple of your five primary forecasts. Your third has to do with the integrity of the information. So can you talk about um, a little bit about what you're forecasting here, the information that's under suspicion and, and how that relates to distortions and confrontations? Okay, this uh, forecast is related with the special word is named post-truth. Post-truth, it's a tendency to take incomplete or partial unverified data, complete them with a real information and verify a situation to create a distortion of the reality. Mm-hmm. Generally, there are um, in, in both people, organization, even governments, to create this context to uh, establish a particular imaginaries with the specific political agendas. For example, you know, at this time, the fake video from the President Obama mentioned yes. something. So there are maybe in the in the in, in this forecast is that uh, we will increase this uh, this this kind of things because there are a lot of information that you can use in, uh, in uh, using intelligence artificial intelligence to create a, a environment of new threats to distortion the reality. So there is, uh, this, this uh, forecast is really, really bad for the, for the, all the world because you can create uh, distortions, uh, misunderstandings, something like that, and try to, to put it together in face of uh, many different um, tensions and context. Yes, you know, I'm really concerned with that, too, because they're just so realistic. I mean, um, Jamie, when I, I've seen so many videos, and you would swear when you're watching them that the person you see is actually 
saying those things or doing those things, right? And it can really, um, it, it makes people start either suspecting everything that they see or on the flip side, people start believing you know, these um, made-up stories and conspiracy theories, and they're like, well, I saw it on video or I saw a photo, so it must be real. So the, the impact of that can be very great. Yeah, I, I, I think that the, this is the new way to use or to misuse the information. Maybe the, the, the big challenge now is not the, the access to information, it's how to use the information. Because it's in the way, in, in, many, in many ways, you can access the information because there are many uh, a puzzle to, to get it in the information. But once you have the information, what can I do with this information? You can do it a good things or what you can do it a bad things and the, or create a distortion to create uh, another reality or another imaginary about something specific. So what do you think uh, can be done to address this? Or do you think there's ways perhaps to be able to, you know, um, maybe put some sort of watermark on videos or images to say this is authentic to help prevent those or, or make more apparent those um, videos and photos and other types of data that aren't real? Or what ideas do you have around that? Okay, I, I'm, I'm saying from the beginning, I, I believe in the insecurity. So yeah. these things are going to be happening, whatever you want. So all the you things that you do it, it could be putting something that, uh, that tend to protect the integrity of the video, integrity of the, of the image, something like that. But at the end of the day, the attackers... You know, you can duplicate that. So you can do it. Uh, this job is try to be harder that they do it these things. So it's like a, like a you. Why did you put it the control in your house? How do you put the the lock to open your house? It's not for the anybody get nobody get in. No, it's just to 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 delay the 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 access for the attacker. Right, right. You know, I've I've read some interesting um, articles, and I'm a member of IEEE and also ACM, the Association for Computing Machinery, and they have some really interesting research papers about how to, you know, make it so that if somebody tries to copy or duplicate a, a video, it will automatically the way the, the video was created, it'll make it fuzzy. So any duplicate is kind of out of, you know, uh, it, it, it's not clear. It's fuzzed up so you can tell right away that it's fake. But I don't know how close that is, you know, beyond theory to seeing actually yeah. something like that out there. Do you know, for example, this is a new, a new field for the computer forensics. How do you test how do you validate? How do you identify this uh, image, uh, this video? Is is about the right people? Do you, you know? Because generally, you when somebody publish or send um, a video using Twitter, using uh, Facebook, using whatever, 
they only they only they only know that you know it's about the video that publish, but you don't know anything about who it's published or how they do it this video, how is the how the, is the people involved in this video give the authorization to do that. You know anything. So that's going to be a big challenge for computer forensic experts. Yes, and you know, it's a good opportunity. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I have a lot of, or a growing number of university classes now listening in on the show. So those of you out there who are looking at uh, careers in information security or privacy, you might want to consider looking at um, digital forensics and also uh, forensics that validate the authenticity of media. Wouldn't that be a great field to go into? It'd be very interesting. Um, So let's go to your uh, next one then, too. So your fourth forecast was for blockchain technology, and there's been a lot on that. So what do you forecast with regard to blockchain? Okay. Well, blockchain is a a technology. I I think that says uh, there are many uh, expectations about blockchain and the use in the blockchain. First of all, blockchain is technology. So it is technology, it's not invulnerable. So there are many ways to, to compromise this technology. Recently, I I'm, I'm read a, a master degree thesis uh, from the University of uh, San Cloud State University uh, related with the security threats classifications in blockchain. This guy in this uh, in this thesis uh, suggests uh, one, two, three, four, five uh, uh, types of, of attacks over blockchain. It's oh. about double spending threats, mining and pool threats, wallet threats, network threats, and smart contract threats. So each of these classifications have a, 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 a case study. Uh, in order to understand how is these uh, threats uh, materialized using blockchain, in this in this sense, um, I think that the in 2018 blockchain it could be under test because blockchain uh, many many people and many organizations trying to do many things in order to use this kind of technology, but the technology itself have uh, many challenges in security. Well, indeed. So it has many challenges. Do you see those challenges as an inherent um, effect of how blockchain works? Or do you see yeah. those challenges as because it's just set in its infancy and needs to mature more? Yeah, for sure. I think that blockchain is an is a, is a interesting technology. Uh, they have a, a lot of uh, uh, implementation and application, but we can overhype this technology. It's not invulnerable. It's vulnerable. So mm-hmm. we need to understand now how blockchain it could be uh, to discover the insecurity itself in order to to take a decision to implement uh, blockchain. But you have the you know the risk and you know how to achieve that risk. 
and I get kind of concerned too. And I don't. I need to learn more about about blockchain. Uh, you know, admittedly, there's a lot I need to learn. But I do get concerned when people start talking about using blockchain at the core or as the basis of their data security and cybersecurity uh, solutions because of those um, vulnerabilities that you described. I mean, how do you see? blockchain being used now or perhaps in the future for actually supporting security with all of the vulnerabilities that you just listed? Okay. I think that blockchain could be support many, many things in cybersecurity and information security. For example, uh, in the topics about authentication, uh, integrity control, uh, um, Something that protect uh, locks in order to have. See, something is is, is modifying a lock. You have uh, a blockchain installed that permits to you to identify something is changing uh, in the in the um, in the lock uh, uh, files. Something like that. So there are many good applications, but in the same way, the 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 cyber crime, the attackers will use the same technology. For example to promote money laundering, mm. to create a digital economic paradise for criminals, uh, to use uh, the more uh, cryptocurrencies to move mm-hmm. on his uh, his own uh, um, uh, the payments for his crime, something like that. So we have the same thing in both sides. In the, mm-hmm. in the, in the light side, uh, and you have many applications, and the, the dark side, you have a lot of applications too. So it's pretty much like any other type of technology. Um, yeah. You can use it for good, or you can use it to do malicious acts. So Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's go on to your um, fifth then forecast. So that has to do, and this is an area that's bugged me ever since I started working in IT, patch management. Patch yeah. management and agility. So, tell our tell us what you you forecast with regard to patch management <laughs> and how agility creates challenges to that. Well, patch management is a uh, I say the traditional uh, management uh, security management practice. So this practice was conceived where the other things are a little bit more stable a little bit more uh, static. But now we have a, a different a different uh, context uh, we have in the, in, the, in the book award, volatile, uncertainty, complex, and ambiguous. So the, all the organization need to move on quickly in order to, to create a different experience for the, for the customers. So the question, here is how many interfaces has been created in the digital transformation process using APIs. Mm-hmm. The, the base of the digital transformations uh, are APIs. If the answer of this question is many, the, there are a lot of examples that every company reports a security breach, uh, maybe an API may be involved. So, the developing is now in the cloud. The developing is based on APIs. So APIs, you are uh, uh, 
deployment of many APIs with a little bit uh, checking of the security issues about that. So I think that the, the agility and the patch management, it could be uh, big tensions, a big crisis because of these things. Yes. I mean, the, the when I started out, just right out of my um, first responsibility in my career, and this has been, oh gosh, 1988, why well, I, I built a change control system on an IBM 390. Um, uh -huh. And so that got, and that was related to the patch management. I was with the patch management folks there too. But what I see is such a big difference now. I mean, we used to have to te uh, test the heck out of changes that made, that were made in applications, that were made in network operating systems. We had to test the heck out of it before we ever introduced it into production into a live environment and now with the patch management it just worries me because I'm seeing folks making changes in the production environment and in um, the live environment without thoroughly testing it first and there's so many impacts that can be made like you were talking about too with uh, regard to the the security impacts and potentially the ad additional pathways that are created kind of like with my example at the beginning you know about not using the Facebook app but just going to the the site so you you don't have to introduce all of the problems that the apps has is the the interface basically with the the architecture underneath Facebook but um, do you see <laughs> this kind of deteriorating this the testing of changes before they are made i mean is that something you also see or or is my viewpoint skewed away from what you're experiencing well uh, you are right at this time all the the formal procedures that you mentioned previously when you stayed in the in the in the corporate environment like you have a specific uh, piece of code that you need to verify, and uh, after verify, you put it in the in the testing environment. After testing environment, you put it in the live environment. So you have a specific um, way to to assure that the the code and the compilation is gonna be do it that they do it that that they promise that they do it they do it in the in the live environment. So when you have uh, 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 quick deployments every time using APIs, you don't have a specific time to validate this kind of uh, re requirements about security. I always, uh, when I'm talking with the uh, enterprise architecture, I say, please don't show me the, the, the testing cases because the testing cases is all that you know that this function in the in the in the software show me the misuse case <laughs> show me the misuse case because the misuse case is really how the attacker can be doing something things that you don't know that they can do it so maybe give me more about misuse case not about the testing case that's a good way to to put it and it kind of reminds me too of uh you know years ago when testing to see if an application would work like with input fields. It was always just a matter of procedure to test for all 
uh, or a wide variety of incorrect types of inputs to make sure that your application could catch things that were inappropriate to be input that could, you know, lead to inappropriate activities and so on. But I just don't see that so much anymore. It seems like, like you said, the the use cases are being considered, but the misuse cases are not. I think that's a really great point, Jamie, about the need to start doing more of that again. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that the, the, the view about, about the secure development is not about the testing case. It's about the misuse case. How do you understand the way that the that the the software is not function as you expected. So in this way, in this way, you uh, try to to testing uh, the 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 reliability of your your software. Mm-hmm. So out of all these five forecast areas. Which one do you think uh, is the biggest concern? If you think there is one that is the biggest concern that could do like the most harm or most disruption? Well, I think the the, the issue that previously mentioned is about APIs because mm-hmm. the the accelerated race that organizations have to create different experiences for the customers, which is both generally quickly rethinking and reassembling when they have leverage with generally with third parties to accelerate their deployments and, and they target a specific audience. So this means that the APIs may be going to be a, 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 a next interesting uh, a vector attack from the, from the attackers because maybe and now the attackers is based on generally uh, in, the, in your in your third parties in order to to get impact into organization at this time. So if you don't secure or you don't assure your APIs, uh, you have an interesting space for the attackers to create a new vector attacks. And yes, and you know where else besides just in organizations and businesses, that's another huge concern of mine with regard to the expanding use of smart things within people's homes. Because just think of all the attack vectors. Most people now have you know, wireless networks within their own homes and they have their computers attached to them and the computers have all their financials on them and their tax returns and and other confidential things. And yet they have, you know, a dozen, two dozen smart things in their in their vicinity within their wireless home environment that, like you said, are pathways right into their own home if they don't uh, make sure the APIs that communicate with those smart things are secured. And, I, I, you know, we know that most of those smart devices, the APIs for them, are just not secured or not secured adequately. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but the, and now you think that the uh, an, uh, an interesting concept that is emerged at this time, in, in business side, it's about um, it's about uh, digital density. All digital the, density. Digital density. It's a, it's a, a concept. It was uh, created by the the ESE in Spain in the School of Business, 
about how the the, the physical things are increased his uh, uh, interfaces about how the data about the uh, the physical things it flows because between the physical uh, things to the digital context. So mm. if you have a new this digital density, uh, you need to understand better how you um, protect the information there and how to you understand the new flows of information between the real side and the physical thing and the digital and digital context. Ah, that sounds like a great, I want to learn, uh, do some more research into that then, because I love the term digital density and, you know, digital exhaust is something I've always used too about how all this data comes off of anybody using a wireless type of of smart device or or computer. But, you know, we're almost at the end of our show here. Um, In about a minute's time, what do you think are one or two things that you would like for our listeners to take away from listening to our show today about your forecasts or about maybe international um, computing with regard to security and privacy? What would you like our listeners to remember from our talk? Okay. Well, I think that, the first of all, the APIs, it's a, the support of the digital transformation in any organization. So put to the, the attention how, how do you deploy the APIs and how do you to assure the APIs uh, when you use uh, uh, this kind of uh, artifacts in, in your organization. Second one, always understand digital density of mm-hmm. your new context uh, that you have at this time in order to uh, identify the difference and new flows of data uh, to understand the new vector attacks that could be uh, support uh, your new strategy in security. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on my show today. I sure appreciate it, Jamie. Okay, thank you so much. Today I've been speaking with Dr. Jamie Cano, an information security expert about his forecasts for 2019 and also a few of his views on how information security is addressed within Colombia versus the U.S. and other parts of the world. Um, Do you have listeners out there, do you have a topic that you would like to suggest I cover or a guest to suggest, well, just get in touch with me if you do. Um, And also with your questions and comments, you can get in touch with me using Rebecca Harold at Rebecca Harold Com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings on demand at any time you want after the show uh, has originally been broadcast. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can listen not only through the Voice America Business Channel website, but on all those different types of uh, apps. So we were talking about apps earlier, so be careful. Make sure you have them um, configured securely. Uh, you can also visit my privacyguidance.com site. And in the week ahead, you know, before we talk again, I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or 
encounter anything else that involves your personal information, and that's a growing number of things that do involve your personal data. And notice, how is it secured or ask if you, you don't know, and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and those you work for, are they doing all that they can to secure the information that you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. Thank you.